it's basketball season and we've got you covered. The Ringer NBA show breaks down the latest and greatest around the league five days a week. Check out The Ringer NBA show on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. Okay, Miss Wakonga, are you ready? Am I ever ready? <laughs> okay. Are you never ready? No, I'm not. Welcome back to the Stadio Podcast and Ringer FC. I'm Misa Kwonga. I'm Ryan Hun. Ryan, how are you doing? Uh, very well, thanks, Misa. How are you doing? Tired, but good. I don't know why I'm tired. <laughs> Slightly concerned individuals on social media going, oh, what is up with your sleeping patterns? The answer is I don't really know. Sleep um, when you need, man. Sleep when you need. I basically sleep about four hours a night, and I have done since the age of about <laughs> 20. I mean, that's pretty much... Such who I am. Weirdo. Yeah, that's a big vampire energy. But yeah, I'm good. I'm good. I'm glad you're well. So what should we get into today? Uh, uh, well, today we're going to be talking about the Champions League. Four ties from this week. We'll go through those. And we'll also touch on a little bit of the results of the She Believes Cup, which rounded up. And if we have time, we'll touch quickly on Barca beating Elche. And yep, yep. although it's a game you expected them to win, and it, I don't think it really needs too much diving into. Spurs beat Wolfsberger in the Europa League. They had their tie on Wednesday. Went through 8-1 on aggregate. Nice and easy. Yep, yep. But a couple of bits of admin before we move on. Don't forget, if you do listen to us on a podcast app that allows you to rate and review, please do so. It'd be yep, very yep. kind. Right his house this week. You and Carl were on. It was a really good episode, I thought. I really enjoyed it. Great fun. Yeah. It's a lovely listen. The nicest thing about listen. it is that Jesse Lingard... Yeah. Um, sort of a bit praising him and shared it. And it's really nice yeah. to know that stuff. That stuff really matters to players. Yeah. Because really everyone's so mean. It's just like nice when people say nice things. Yep, yep. Stadio Outros playlist. If you like music, if you like music. That always, whenever I say stuff like that, it always reminds me, you remember the Harry Maguire World Cup meme? Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just yeah. like, when it, someone's just like, put, put that picture and it just says, oh, I just listen to a little bit of everything, really. Yeah. You know, also, 
if you like music, it reminds me of people that used to sell their mixtapes down near like tube stations in North London. Like, oh yeah, man. If you like I music, yeah. But in a way, I, I rate I rate that and respect that because it's like you have to, right? This is before social media, so how else are you going to connect with people? Yeah, man. That reminds me of like Market Street outside the Arndale in Manchester. Just oh, random wow. mixtapes always being flung. It was I really good. That. I love that. Yeah, Stadio Outro's playlist. If you never hang around until the end of the podcast because you've had enough, first of all, it's fine. We understand. Yep. Second of all, you're missing out on a different track each episode that we play That's out true. on. That's true. We compile them into a playlist on Spotify. If you search Stadio Outros on Spotify, you will see all of the tunes we play out with. The latest one is at the top. So if you want some music to keep you going, there's also the Stadio Sessions playlists on there as well of tunes that we use on the Stadio Sessions that are available on Spotify. And we need to do one of those soon. Sorry, we've not done one for a while. We've not done one this year. It's been right. busy, man. This is this, this football, man. This football thing. It's a lot of it. There's Maybe a lot too of much. It. Yeah, there's a lot. There really is a lot. <laughs> uh, final thing. Hope everyone's staying safe, staying well. Um, staying as positive as possible. I really can't wait for the time when we don't have to say that as much. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we know a lot of people are having a tricky time and we hope that you're all hanging in there and um yeah if you want to get in touch about anything stadiofootball at gmail.com is our email yep yep we have a load of emails to get back to apologies for those who haven't received a response yet we try to get back to as many as possible um, i've got a few instagram dms as well so if people have sent me stuff there oh, there I'll, you go yeah, That's yeah, hell. Yeah. just those <laughs> little humble brag there no they're not like that they're not like that ryan they're, no no god no they're not can i just know like for clarity they're not Instagram DM slides of that nature. Let me clarify. None of nothing of that nature. Uh, oh, and one last thing of admin. Um, I got an essay coming up um, on the ringer, ringer.com forward slash soccer about Pele. Oh, you do? Yeah. Pele's legacy. Yes. That's been written. That's coming soon. Oh, and one final, final thing. If you are an Arsenal fan, I'll be on the Arsecast on Friday. There we go. Talking about, well, we're recording, this is before the game. We're recording this episode. So could potentially be talking about Arsenal's dramatic exit from Europe. <laughs> oh gosh. Stares into the distance. <laughs> Can I say though, not to, not to um, self-aggrandise, but you know. What are you doing? I'd like a bit of praise because I haven't had any football hot takes on Twitter yet. I know it's only been two days into the week, but I think that's incredible restraint. So I think I deserve a little bit of... To be honest, I don't think the games have really given you much ammo. <laughs> have I ever needed anything? <laughs> Hard to make a take hot. When everything is so lukewarm. This is true. This is true. Well, on that note, let's go on to the football. <laughs> if it's okay with you, Misa, I would like to start with Borussia Mönchengladbach 0, Manchester City 2. Let's do it. Let's go there. I thought this was actually quite an intriguing game because... Mm, tactically, yeah. 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 Because I saw a lot, I saw a lot of Gladbach hate online about... Okay their tactics, their performance. And I was like, did I watch another, did I watch a different game? Or maybe I'm just a, maybe I'm just a big old softy. Because oh, yeah. I think Manchester City were comfortable, put it that way. Mm. They were good value for the 2-0. But I think if I'm right, in only four games this season have Manchester City registered fewer shots than they did against Gladbach. Intriguingly, Two of them were in the Champions League, one against Porto, one against Marseille, and then the two games against Liverpool. 
I think are the only games this season that City have registered fewer shots at all, let alone on target. Now, obviously, shots per game isn't the ultimate barometer of how good you are. But But that made them work. I think they did. And I think the thing that was frustrating, and I think the thing that maybe clouded the performance from Gladbach, was something I tweeted, actually, that Gladbach were doing this thing that sides used to do against Barca 2010-11, which was whenever they did get the ball, they treated it as if it was the last chance they were ever going to (laughs) have to attack in the game and therefore just panic. Yes. Like, I think, you know, if you think Gladbach had that chance, well, they had that opportunity at nil-nil, which they basically did this move that Marco Rosa completely outlined in his pre-match interview on DAZN, right. where they basically switched it to the right, right wing, and then they had that ball into the middle. I can't remember who it was. Was it player up front on his own? Player and, Sh- and uh, Stindl. They were playing yeah. as a two, but maybe yeah, and they were slightly more advanced. But in that move, in that move, right, and basically right, they'd, right. They'd, got, they'd kind of got City running towards their own box. And if the ball was better weighted, player had a tap-in or a one-on-one. Right. And it was under here, and Ruben Diaz comfortably cleared it, or Laporte maybe it was. But there were also other chances where they got the ball and broke. Stindl mishit a couple of passes. Florian Neuhaus missed a couple of good opportunities. So in terms, of, it didn't translate into chances created, but they did have opportunities to break, I yes. thought. Yes. And actually do City some damage. And they just kind of panicked, I thought. I feel like this is an interesting game and defeat for Gladbach because it's almost like, in quotes, a good defeat. Like it's not a defeat you'll look at and be like, we let ourselves down. And tactically, this 3-5-2 is interesting as well. With Zachariah as a centre-back behind Kramer, so you've got like two DMs almost. So you get this, you've got this really great playmaking from the base of the team, which sets up, is actually really good for the counter. So mm. tactically, it was interesting. And you've got those two eights, Hoffman and Neuhaus. And the bench was pretty strong too, what, Turam and Mbolo. So Gladbach gave a great account of themselves. And it was weird looking at the city bench as well. I mean, this is, I, I don't like to make it all about resources, but City had Ferran Torres on the bench, De Bruyne, Aguero, Mares, Fernandinho. Like they had stones, like they, they had an extraordinary amount of resources in this game. And this is not to denigrate City at all. It's more to say that this scoreline is about par. Does that make sense? It's about yeah, I mean, par I, for what I, was I going on. I thought yeah. this. I thought this. I thought that if that you makes look sense. at Yeah, yeah, I think. I just don't think there has to be one side was amazing, one side was dreadful in order to win a game of football, especially when you're dealing with two clubs that have such vastly different resources and squad debt and mm. the value of that squad construction, if that makes sense. Yeah. Now, could, could Gladbach have done better with the, when they did have the ball? A hundred percent. But they also had that player chance in the second half, which was right before he came off, which isn't exactly a big chance, clear-cut opportunity doing a right. kind of, scorpion kick behind or flick behind your behind your head but they did have opportunities to create quite good goal scoring chances and they just missed that little bit of calm and execution in the final third like there was that one where they broke three on two and I think it was actually Zachariah was on ended up with the ball on the right hand side in the second half it was like all of a sudden they started running in treacle we saw that we've seen that we saw that with Chelsea as well actually I don't know what to read into it. Sometimes seems just a bit out of sync. And I think it just speaks to the level of attacking coordination maybe that you need. Because Gladbach, actually, this is the, the sad thing for Gladbach, I suppose, is their greatest strength in this Champions League has actually been their attacking coordination. We know they've got it in them. Mm. Maybe there's a question of, you know, the Gladbach that was brilliant in the group stages is slightly different to the Gladbach that we're seeing now. Mm. A part of that is Marcus Turam being in and out of the squad. I wonder how much actually that spitting incident 
derailed mm. him and Gladbach's season because there was a really great chemistry. And actually, if you look at the best attacking play from Gladbach in Champions League this year, he was at the heart of the bulk mm-hmm. of it. And now you're playing as a team as complex as a city and you've got to reconfigure on the fly. You've got, I mean, that, 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 the team that Gladbach put up against City doesn't have the same chemistry as the one that started the season. Yeah, I it's, agree. It's, it's all, these, it's all, all these tiny margins, Ryan, all these tiny margins. Yeah, and I, think, and I think also with Manchester City is that they do a lot of damage to you physically and mentally when you play against them, very much like Barcelona 2010-11. And it's mm. actually, as good as, those Bar- as good as those Bayern Munich sides were that Pep managed, and it feels a little bit weird to say this considering that he's already won the league twice at Manchester City with record, like record number of points. Mm. I think this Manchester City now is the most mentally exhausting Manchester City that Pep's created. And it's, as, and it's as close to, the, as, to being as mentally exhausting as that Barcelona 2010-11 side because, and this kind of goes to what I was saying before about the Gladbach thing, is that trying to defend against a side that is that dominant and that fluid with the ball, but also that good without it, yeah. is so exhausting that I actually thought the two goals that you saw Gladbach concede were a prime example of that mm. because they, were, they both ended up from being um, from clips, basically, or kind of, they weren't really switches. They were clips to the back post Yes, from this kind of little pocket just outside the box on the left-hand side. Yeah, Cancelo, yeah. And, and that is actually, that is supreme elite attacking football against a side that is defending quite well in a block, I think. Yeah, it is, yeah. You yeah. find the pocket of space, which is what, maybe like a, a two by three meter space in the back, on the back post for the second goal. And you have a guy who's, what, five foot seven as the guy hanging on the back post who yeah. then heads it back in for, a, for someone just to... Who was Gabriel Jesus was marked as well on that second goal and he, he did really well to finish it, I thought. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but that, is, that, is a, that is a prime prime example of manoeuvring the opposition into a point like you move them into a thing where they're kind of they're focused on this 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 attacking setup on the on the Manchester City's left hand side and then they just hit you like this it's like it is very it's a very very overused analogy but it is like being constricted by a python because they feel I think it can feel quite suffocating playing Manchester City in this way especially if you're a side like Gladbach who as good as they are they just don't have the players that Manchester City have, which isn't exactly a wild take. It's, I think it's, it's clear as, as much yeah. as we have a soft spot for Gladbach. And I think this is why I'm quite sympathetic to their performance. And I felt that the takes about Gladbach being dreadful, I thought were actually quite harsh. If this Gladbach performance came against, a, and no disrespect to them at all, but say an Atalanta or a, or a Lazio, yeah. I could understand it a little bit more because those were the sides that you would expect Gladbach to go a little more, bit more toe-to-toe with. Mm. If they take the lead at 1-0 with a chance that it, if, if it had better execution, they really could have taken the lead. Right, right. I know I'm going on a little bit of a wandering rant here, but this is what makes it so reminiscent of that Barcelona side that I referenced. Because when you get the ball against yeah. sides that are a little bit more on your level, you're like, right, our turn, let's go. But when you get the ball against a side like Manchester City or that 2011 Barcelona side, it's like, we're going to lose this in a minute. We have to do something. That's the instant reaction and it's, and it's only against a few teams that you get that against you made a great point there well a series of great points the one thing I just want to add is 
I think the most impressive about Gladbach's performance is they made City work hard for their goals. Yeah. If you're going to lose, make sure they score good goals against you. It's not even playing tennis, right? If someone hits a forehand winner, make them hit. Make them hit the line. Mm-hmm. Then you can't complain. Like they hit the line, you know, I got beaten by a good shot. It is what it is. And they made City construct this, this victory. They didn't give it to them. You know, there's some other, you know, I, I would say actually, funny enough, if we're going to look at any team that would be disappointed across these results, at least the four results we saw, I would say Gladbacher towards the bottom of who should be disappointed. I would say, you know, like maybe sort of more Lazio and Atleti should be disappointed, really. Lazio, because their home form has actually been quite strong in Champions League at certain points this season. And Atleti, because, you know, who they are and where they are. But Gladbach shouldn't be disappointed with this in certain terms of what they put out there. Um, um, you're, ne- you're, never ha- you're never happy to lose. You're never happy to lose. Yeah. But you're not, you shouldn't be overwhelmed. And also, to be honest, let's, just, let's be frank, an early goal in Manchester and who knows? Yeah, I mean, I think Marco Rosa will be disappointed, actually. Yeah. I think he will be disappointed with how little they created with the few opportunities that they did have. Mm, and okay. I did say when I tweeted it, I was just like, they have had a few, they will have more. Yeah, you know, yeah. they had one, I think Hannes Wolf had that shot towards the end, which I think was the only shot on target that they had. But still, it doesn't mean that they didn't have the right. ball in quite decent positions. And I mean, the possession breakdown wasn't, it ended up being 61% to 39%, I think, which isn't... It's not awful. It's, it's not, not yeah, awful, yeah. no. And, and it was very much 60-40, 58, uh, 30, uh, 42 for a while. Can I just think else? Pep's normalised that. Can I be honest? Yeah, Pep has Pep normalized, has normalized that, yeah. 60% possession because that, there was a time when that was a horrifying stat to concede, mm-hmm. but now it's like, it's par. Mm. That makes sense. Yeah. There were a couple of situations that I thought it just showed you how unbelievably good Manchester City are. When they didn't have the ball, they switched into this hyper-compact formation. It looked like a turbocharged version of Space Invaders. And oh, it was gosh, just like, yeah. there was no way, there was no way that there is any way through this. And you could see Gladbach kind of freaking out a little bit. Unless you play over it and you won't get the ball yeah, back. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. And then Gladbach, I think, actually did that. They tried to clip it. It went straight to Edison. It zoomed in on Edison and then it cut back to the wider pan. And all of a sudden, every Manchester City had scattered. I was watching it on my own and I actually let out an audible. Like I went, wow. It was like that. And, and I think that this is the thing that I'm saying, like, I don't, I, I just don't know what you would expect. I, I don't really understand what people would expect a Gladbach to do in that situation. The only thing that I was disappointed in a little bit is that I still believe that Gladbach are at their very best when they show a complete lack of respect for the opposition. I agree. They, they did seen it in the it. first half it. against Inter. They did it in the first half against Real Madrid. Yeah. It's a massive high risk, high reward strategy. But I do believe that this Manchester City now knows that so much of their advantage comes from a mental, uh, almost like a mental shadow over, yeah, like yeah, going yeah. over the opposition. I wonder whether the way to sting this Manchester City side now is actually to fly out the blocks at them and basically be like, you give it absolutely everything for the first 20 minutes and if we get something, then we sit. Look at Leicester, uh, Matt Martin so, Rodri. Yeah, we said yeah, it, yeah, and, they, yeah. and they were so used, because they're, so, they're so not used to teams flying at them now. Yeah. Almost being so, so afraid of conceding that I do wonder how a Manchester City side would respond if, for example, they were just swarmed for the first five minutes. Yes. Now, obviously, <laughs> actually, actually executing that is a lot harder than suggesting it. But that was the only thing that I kind of hoped Gladbach would do. But when and they I have saw the, the players lineup, for, have the players for it. Yeah, yeah, they do, they do, and I think they could have, they could have gone really full. I mean, now they have to do it in in the second leg because they have to score and they have to score more than one. 
Right. So it would be it will be really interesting to see how they how they do that second leg. But overall, I I think Rosa will, Marco Rosa will be disappointed with the lack of quality in a lot of the stuff they did with the ball. But I think the plan wasn't. Mm, I I don't think it was that bad. Yeah, I agree. I agree. What was bad, however, was Pep's coat. Oh my goodness. It looked like fancy dress, Ryan. I mean, I tweeted that Pep looked like he's nipped down the shops for some milk. And then, but this was before, because I missed the first clip where, they, where he turned around in the first five minutes. You didn't see, I, yeah, you didn't see what I saw. I didn't yeah. see the first, I didn't see the back of the jacket for the first time until after I tweeted that. And I was just like, okay, I've just, I've just seen the back and I, 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 I've got nothing. I've got nothing. <laughs> I mean, he took the jacket off and Man City got a lot better. So I don't know what that says. I mean, I think it says everything. Both I mean, of the goals, I think both of the goals came on a yaka, as they would say in German. Yes, yes. <laughs> well, there was a thing when they asked him, um, you know, City doing so well. And he talked about like, we have the resources to buy all these players. And I was like, with Pep, there's always that little barb, like mm. where Pep's whole thing is basically at this point, we're not going to get credit, no matter how good we are. We're just going to win stuff and they're going to take it whether they like it or not. And that's kind of Pep's thing at this point. I think he's in a phase of his career, which we've never seen before. He's been at City, you know, for an unprecedented period of time. I think he's quietly happy there because he's got all the tools to make the football he wants without the scrutiny of Barca. And I think if you had the Barca type fan base, if you had the amount of ex-Mass City players in the press, and if you had the same size of fan base, this City team would be a lot more celebrated, right? Mm. And he knows that. And I think there's a part of him that's like, I'm annoyed I'm not getting more credit, but, but screw everyone else outside this club. Not in a kind of like actively screw them, but like, I'm really not bothered by anything but the employees, the supporters and my squad. That's just it. There's a weird thing with Man City where they're almost like, it's a strange thing that happens with them when they're at their best, where people almost look at the league table and it's like, they don't, they just don't, they see everyone below them. It's a consistent thing with City, like for the last few years when they've been at their very best, they almost like just evaporate from the discussion. You know, they're just out there hammering teams, 4-0, 5-0, like putting on these actual exhibitions, these clinics. And it's partly because they're resources. Yes, it's partly because they're resources. It's also because they create this numbing effect. They're so good that City at their best create a numbing effect. And like they're doing it again now where you look at them. I mean, Zinchenko was on the bench as well and he's been brilliant for them. Yeah. It's the Python thing, man. It's yeah, this like the right. slow suffocation. And the more you wriggle, the more, you know. It likes it, yeah. 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 This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. All right, man. Always watch Atalanta. Yes. Oh, this was a funny one. Okay. So they lost 1-0 to Real Madrid at home. Mm. And this is an interesting place that both clubs are in, both teams are in. So Atalanta, you could argue from a distance, football historians will look at this and be like, oh my goodness, Atalanta played Real Madrid in the, you know, the knockout stage of the Champions League. This is arguably the biggest game in the history. It's a huge game for them. Mm. But the weird thing was, 
what those historians will not see immediate uh, at first glance is this was not the Champions League as we know it because of the lack of crowds. This was not Atalanta as we know it because Hatabo was missing. Papa Gomez has been sold. Uh, you know, Ilicic was on the bench. Um, and this was not Real Madrid. You have any Real Madrid where Isco is starting as a false nine is not the Real Madrid that we know, right? And this is, you know, injury and management. And Real Madrid's bench was absolutely threadbare. And Real Madrid actually are kind of, they're a bit of a white walker at this point. It's a sentient zombie that just keeps advancing, you know, despite all efforts to hack them down, Real Madrid just keep advancing. And that is credit to, in particular, Luka Modric and Casemiro, I would say, um, above all, who drag Madrid through so many games, and Tony Kroos to a lesser extent. Atalanta, th- this entire game basically turned on that red card. Yeah, so, I mean, what... Awful, awful, awful decision, in my opinion. I thought it was a really bad decision, and he was extremely keen to give it. I see, well, I, it's... When I say awful decision, I also say that with a bit of sympathy, because it's the kind of choice that happens. It's like when you're... Um, it's such a silly example to use. You're on holiday somewhere and you haven't got much time. You're going to go sightseeing and you're like, I'm going to go to the old part of the city as opposed to this bit. And you go somewhere and it's terrible, but you were like so focused on going to that bit and you were so kind of like concerned with, I've got a limited amount of time to get this right. And you're refereeing a, a huge game at Atlanta Real. You're refereeing a Champions mm-hmm. League game. And at some level you're like, I'm going to make my decisions and back myself on them. Because you can only make a decision like that and, and back yourself if you've made a choice before the game to just be like, I'm going to be decisive. I'm going to be decisive. When you're surrounded by massive players all going, I think you've got this wrong. But the referee's just doubling down at that point. No. So situation comes, you know, so Remo Frula cuts across Ferland Mendy, who was running through on goal near to the box and was given a straight red for denial of a clear goal scoring opportunity. Now, whether Mendy would have scored, still had plenty to do is another question. But the referee obviously felt the need to make a big decision at that point. And unfortunately, Frula was the the loser and Rail were the, the huge beneficiary. It was also moving away from goal. It felt a bit like, this sounds a bit uncharitable, but it felt a bit like, um, I've, got to, I've got to be decisive. It felt like a bit, I've got to be decisive. I've got to get this right. And it was, it was painful because it, they were already up against Atlanta to a certain extent. But that was still a Rail team that was there. You know, you know Hatterborough was a huge loss, but that team was still there for the taking. We've seen Atlanta dismantle teams far less accomplished than that rail team. And you look at that and you're like, well, the, di- the, the decision beat us. And you saw Atlanta try to like generate some form of attacking momentum. They still had good, good pieces on the pitch. You know, you've still got Zapata there and Muriel, who haven't been slouches this year. They've been fantastic for long stretches, but you're a man down. And the thing is, a midfield that experienced against 10 men, eventually it will draw this thing. Mm. And Casemiro, Kroos and Modric just basically shut them down after a certain point. And... Credit to Isco because he made some nice little pockets of space. You talked about pockets against um, Gladbach that City made. He operated really well, could have had one or two goals, laid the ball off beautifully in that force line role for Vinicius who could have scored, should have scored maybe. Mm. And Rail only really got out of jail with um, a late, a very late and beautiful winner from Ferland Mendy with his wrong foot. So Lovely goal. You know, Atalanta were very atypical in this game because defensively they were really accomplished. Mm. They held out for, what, 70 minutes with 10 men? Yeah. And that, that's not an Atlanta that we've seen in this Champions League or indeed <laughs> in the last two seasons for the most part. So really have a lot of sympathy for Gasparini. But what I would say really is um, Casemiro's out the second leg. And he could have gone actually. Right. Yeah, he could have gone. 
he could have gone. And I saw a funny tweet. I think it was from Kevin Williams, actually, who obviously is not like Kev to say something spiky about a Real Madrid player. Especially but, Casemiro. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yes. And he was just like, the ref went to book Casemiro and then saw it was Casemiro and just gave him a stern warning because <laughs> he was already <laughs> on the yellow. <laughs> but he, he's a huge loss to them. He is a huge loss to them. And if you saw the players that Real Madrid were bringing off the bench, like they haven't got a huge amount of depth at the moment, actually. Not at all. So, yeah, I don't think this ties anywhere near over. If I were Atalanta, spiritually, I mean, I am, I'd go full Atalanta in the first. You talk about going full Atalanta for the first 15 minutes and try and blow them away. Because they could get get some joy. They could get some joy against them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that would be a hell of a tie because the, there weren't a lot of goals this week apart from in the buying game, but even that didn't really feel like there were a lot of goals in. Yeah, and if you're ever, if there's any team, ever team that you'll back to go all in, a goal down and away goal down and Champions League tie, it's them. Yeah. What did you make of the Ilicic sub on, sub off? I have no idea what's going on there. I mean, did you see his interview with Marker? There was a thing in Marker about him and it seems to like it, it shed a little bit more light on his absence from the side. So the headline from the interview with Marker is, um, I was afraid of going to sleep and not waking up again. Oh my God. And there's a line in there where it says, those who know him say that the Atalanta forward is an extremely sensitive person. His life changed when he was diagnosed mm. with lymphadenitis, an inflammation of the lymph nodes, which made him fear the worst. Uh, in his memory was Davide Astore former teammate of his at Fiorentina they played 63 games together and he died obviously he died uh, in 2018 resting in the run up to a match and Ilicic says in those days I thought a lot about Davide I was afraid of going to sleep and not waking up not seeing my loved ones again and the images of trucks full of coffins the almost constant sound of ambulances in Bergamo the strict confinement measures and the death figures all began to really affect Ilicic who felt he wasn't able to play when football came back and that's why he was allowed, he was given permission by the club. Atalanta basically gave him permission to go back to Slovenia. And Gasparini said that he's, he's a recovered player now. But I think that this is the, we kind of knew that something was going on with Ilicic. And I think that this is the first, this might be the first time I've seen it laid out in that much detail. But um, I mean, we're so, huge So do you know what, credit to Atalanta, yeah. credit to Atalanta, it's taken so long for it to come out. Do you know what? This is, that club has really taken care of that player. Yeah, I mean, they really protected him. Yeah, they took care of that player. Like, they lost. Them and, him and Papu Gomez were two extraordinary playmakers. They sold Gomez because he fell out with Gasparini. They didn't force Ilicic back into action. Didn't throw him under the bus. Didn't make any public comments about, oh, we expect more from our big players. None of that, which we would have seen. We've seen that from, you know, yeah. other, other clubs, other managers. Um, so shout out to Atalanta for that. And to be honest, with the players they had in the pitch, they had the tools to get it done. Um, but of course, this isn't, this isn't really about football. The, the reason I'm, I, I want to mention this is the She Believes Cup. Obviously, the football itself bears, meant, bears, you know, bears analysis. Same time, the wider context, the fact that Japan pulled out and Argentina went in because of the coronavirus. Things like this, like, this whole pandemic, and it's a bit of a kind of like, you know, we've talked about it a thousand times, but every now and again, the pandemic reminds us there's such a human cost to all of this. Mm-hmm. There's such a human cost. The spectacle that Atalanta put on in the Champions League last year, Ilicic scoring four goals against Valencia, 
and that happening in an empty stadium and Atalanta being on the best run in their club's history, like playing astonishing football. Mm-hmm. And that was robbed from them because of this pandemic. And in fact, you've got like key people, key protagonists, you've got protagonists like Ilicic and this whole Atlanta drama of the last few years, you know, in, in, in many senses, just too traumatized to take the field or to perform to the best ability. It's absolutely heartbreaking. And, you know, my attitude has been like, rather like yours as well. We're just lucky to be getting this at all. Football has definitely helped me from a very selfish, from a very selfish perspective. Football has helped to fill my evenings and just remove that kind of extended isolation because without football, the, the evenings just kind of go on forever, really, if you've got nothing else to punctuate them. So again, I just want to say like on the record, like my gratefulness for players for even providing a spectacle. Yeah, I mean, I think the thing, when you actually read the interview or the, the article in Marker, it makes you realise that even though we've suspected it all along and we've mm. constantly said players are being asked to do things that they've never been asked to do before. How many other players have suffered yes, like that? Yes, yes, And I think yes. that personally, I know we've got a couple of other games, we've got Tuesday's games to do, but I have wanted to kind of talk about this for a while. Mm. Okay, so quick disclaimer at the top of this point, I know that there are financial reasons here and I know that clubs involved are usually reliant on the money that games being broadcast um, provide. Yeah. However, I think that UEFA, maybe the leagues as well, the individual FAs, but I'm, I put this more on the kind of the regional or the continental confederations. I, th- I, I genuinely think what they've, what they've done here is borderline criminal. The reason I say that is because they could have still got football done this year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They also could have done it in a way that showed that they actually give a shit about the the professional footballers that they rely on for yeah. their product in yeah, order to yeah. sell it. Yeah. For example, as soon as this huge wave started coming back, well, essentially it was a third wave in Europe in October, November, yeah. European group stages were done, right? Yeah, yeah. But the thing that I believe they should have done was, okay, is it wise when there's a vaccination program being rolled out to have multiple squads in multiple European competitions plus international friendly fixtures traveling around Europe during a a third wave of pandemic when most of these countries are in lockdown. No, it's not. Is it fair to put the players through that? No, it's not. So therefore, how about we use the fixture dates that would have been taken up by the European games and give them back to the domestic competitions so we can bring the end of the domestic seasons forward. So we reduce the amount of travel that all of the clubs have to undergo if they're in Europe we've said this before that the domestic competitions have done a really good job on the whole of reducing the amount of COVID cases I agree yeah it seems to flare up when international competitions happen or international fixtures generally speaking why don't we allow the domestic competitions to use those and then we will program the knockout stages of both the Europa League and the Champions League for mid-April towards the end of April and we will do it in one location again because that actually if you like how exciting was it when we had Great Champions format. League knockout games every few days in Great like format. a mini tournament it worked yeah. it was brilliant I thought in terms of a spectacle 
Yeah. And then also you're giving players more rest because they're not having to travel to book a rest from Manchester for their home games or whatever it was. Now, where did Manchester United play Turin? Gladbach traveling to Budapest. It's absolutely for, wild. Like for like, a home game. For a home, home game. game. Yeah, a home game. Yeah, tra- traveling that far. This just isn't fair. I know this is, I know a lot of people will say, well, the clubs want the money, so they've got, no, no, actually, no. And I'm really sorry if this comes across ranting. And I'm really sorry if people disagree with it, but I genuinely no, go for it, believe go for it. that, go for it. and I've said this a million times before, that like, you don't have to have either or in football. There's balance, there's balance, right? There is a balance there. For example, like you, none of us, none of us are, none of us are naive enough to kind of say, well, yeah, modern football is pretty gross and wouldn't it be great if it was better? But there's a reality at play there that has to play out. However, how refreshing would it have been if you had the, the head of UEFA being like, right, we understand that their TV, TV companies have bought this and we need to fulfill the fixtures. However, player and staff, health and safety is a priority for us. And therefore, we believe with consultation and cooperation with the individual FAs that we will halt the European competitions until April because we feel that by then a vaccination program would have been sustainably like uh, would have been rolled out a little bit further down the line potentially each country may not be an, in as severe lockdown as they are now maybe travel might be a little bit more understandable by then and also we reduce the amount of travel that players will have to do ahead of a european competition right in the summer but there was never any of this it's like no figure out where you're going to play your home games Mm. The thing that really just annoys me about this, and I'm really sorry again for going on a rant. But no, go for like it. I agree with it. Go for it. Go for it. Distinct lack of a shit that anyone gives about the players in this scenario. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. I genuinely believe, and it's like I wrote in that tweet the other day, I, I really believe that in a few years, if somehow this all goes away, that yeah. we will look back on this and be like, what the actual fuck were we putting these players through? And cases like, the, like Ilicic are a prime example of this. And he will not be the only one. And no. there will be a lot of people, there are a lot yeah. of young players yeah. who are living on their own in countries that are not their native countries and they may not speak the language and they've had to do all of this whilst achieving the absolute maximum elite level of professional football and being absolutely torn apart for a shit performance on Twitter about it and all of this kind of stuff. I really do believe that UEFA have completely failed in their duty of care here, in my opinion. I completely agree with this. And the only thing I'll add to that, I look at Alex and Maximan and what they've experienced at Newcastle with long COVID. And I wonder to myself, how many Newcastles are there? How many footballers are suffering with long COVID, but it hasn't been disclosed. I think what Steve Bruce did was really, it was wonderful. He put that out there because it brought everyone back to reality. Long COVID is so dangerous. The way that that affects you long after you get it and it affects people. It's not just about underlying conditions affects people who are prime of health, fully healthy, could not be fitter. There, there are few, few athletes on earth fitter than a Premier League footballer. And you see what it's doing to these people's livelihoods. It's a debilitating uh, uh, condition, illness that, that for a lot of people never goes away. For a lot of people, it kills them. Now, look, personally, I wear, I wear two masks, Ryan. I wear two masks. I wear the surgical one and the cloth one over the top. From the moment I leave my front door to the moment I get home, I do that. I've been doing that for the last couple of weeks. And before that, I wore a mask from my front door and back pretty much for months on end, right? Now, that, I'm someone that like works my listen home and I'm in a state of uh, alert in relation to my health. You're a footballer. You're out there training. You're opening your lungs the entire time. You're going in and out of airports, confined spaces. And you know that long COVID 
can destroy your career potentially, or it could kill you. That and was what we've normalized. The duty of care thing is, is you're right, it's absolutely UEFA. It goes wider than UEFA, but UEFA is almost like in football, it's the emblem of that. I mean, for example, I do not think that any respectable football fan, if UEFA had come out in December and said, in light of the COVID situation in Europe, we will postpone the Champions League until the domestic seasons have been completed because we feel it's safer for all. We can still complete the competition. We will play it as one-legged knockouts yeah. in a neutral venue, even if they play two legs to fulfill broadcasting slots yeah. and the money. I think a lot of people would have been like, whoa, holy shit. It's a natural... Flexibility, yeah. Forward yeah. thinking and, you know, wow, they actually give a shit about this. And they understand that they have to fulfill these broadcasting fixtures or broadcast slots, but also they're showing a genuine care and uh, interest in the health and safety of players and club staff. I just think it's frankly wild with the fixture pileup that you're being asked to travel to countries sometimes 800 to 1,000 miles away to fulfill a home fixture. It's just, I just, but being honest, man, it kind of, if I think about it a little bit too much, and obviously we do a football podcast, so we have to talk about football. Like it makes me upset thinking about it. And I do think that sometimes it's just like the show must go on no matter what. And actually, no, it fucking doesn't have to. Agreed. Agreed. Well said. So then, after that, shall we talk, shall we talk about the other two games that happened? <laughs> yeah, no, let's do it. Let's do it quick. Let's do it. Let's do it. Um, all right, let's quickly start with Atleti-Chelsea because, oh God, I think this was such a... Hmm. Atleti seem well. Atleti were on a poor run of form at the moment, and Simeone had kind of let them go a little bit, and it was really good to see. And now it strikes me as that he's kind of caught a little bit between fully letting them go, but also noticing that this stuttering run of form, I think, is maybe thinking about him switching to type a little bit more. But I think that because they've changed slightly how they've played this season, mm. I don't think they're as able to do classic Atleti as what like the Liverpool game last season for example yeah yeah I don't think they're as able to switch into that mode as they have been in the past he's such a funny one Simeone because overall you're like this guy's doing a magnificent job and then every now and again you see a specific game where you're like you are severely undercoaching these players and when it comes to that specific game it's like it's all about attacking coordination if you have players of the quality of Joao Felix Thomas Lamar Luis Suarez if you have players with those tools, you can blow teams away and still mm. have defensive solidity. Like, sounds an awful comparison to draw, but imagine what Pep would do in an attacking sense with that configuration of players. They'd be blowing teams away. They would be. But it's what, what has happened with Atleti, and this is in Simeone's defence, is the level of intensity and defensive coordination you need makes it very hard to switch that mindset into an attacking one. It's mm. not that he doesn't, know they can play that style. It's like, how do I get them to transition from attacking freedom to defensive solidity? It's very, very, you're right. It's very hard. And so what you have here at Letty were very unambitious against Chelsea. And what really saved um, them against Chelsea for long periods was uh, that Chelsea were just not playing into the final third very well. Yeah, this was the, this is very much like, if you look at the stat breakdown, it kind of looks like basically every single game that Chelsea have played so far under Tuchel. Yeah. You know, loads of possession, out past the opposition not a huge amount of big chances created. Their final third passing is not good. Um, they played as if they were passing downhill. You know when the pass gets hit and then just rolls away? 
in a positive sense. You know, Mason Mount has really advanced his case very well. He seems, you know, arguably could say he was probably like Tickle's favourite player. Strangely about Chelsea is it's one of the few players who's playing exactly in the position he wants to. Yeah, but also I do wonder whether the lack of final third cohesion, let's say, mm. comes from, because if you actually look at this Chelsea lineup, even though they're passing teams off the park a lot of the time, if you're going to switch back to say like a 4-3-3, yeah. now with the kind of, the amount of possession that Chelsea are used to having, the way that they're playing the ball around, mm. having people like Harvards and Pulisic in the final third mm. will allow... But like I don't know, I, I still think that even though they're passing teams off the park, this Chelsea lineup, if you looked at it on paper, it looks very much like a counter-attacking team. Yeah, 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 that's fair. That's maybe fair. apart from Giroud, maybe because uh, Giroud is you know a good forward pivot, but it's weird, I think. And I do think that ultimately Chelsea are improving under Tuchel. I think that they may not yeah. be um, unbelievable to watch, but they're extremely hard to beat. Yes, still unbeaten under Tuchel. And I want to shout out Callum Hudson-Odoi actually because I thought he was really good on Tuesday mm. and I thought that defensively he was really good and he seemed to have really taken on board what Tuchel said on the weekend. Actually. I think Tuchel only treats a player like that if he's a favourite of his. I think he yeah, really, yeah. I mean, he loves Hudson-Odoi. We said that as soon as he arrived, we were like, he's going to love Hudson-Odoi. And we said he'd love Tammy Abraham and he loves Tammy Abraham because yeah, Tammy yeah. Abraham's like, Tammy Abraham's limping and he's on the bench still. You know, <laughs> yeah, I mean, Tuchel, he's got this challenge where it's like, you know, to put in the Fuji's um, lyric, is too many MCs, not enough mics. Mm. Too many attacking players. There are, there are too many, Ryan. They're just the too many. And we could be in for a big shock. It could be Game of Thrones style. You have like a big shock casualty. I wonder who the big shock casualty is going to be from that group of attackers. Because someone amazing is going to have to fall off. Yeah. And the thing that we know about Tuchel from his history is he's not afraid to have the big person fall off. Yeah. So this is for, for other clubs they need to be ready to catch. If it's Ziyech, if it's Pulisic, they need to be ready to catch whoever falls out of that configuration because there are going to be some tasty treats coming out of the Chelsea tree. Yeah, definitely. You know, sooner rather than later. Mm. I agree. Um, I mean... Also Giroud, gorgeous goal. Olivier Giroud, man. So disrespected. So disrespected. Everyone tries to get rid of him and everyone end up, ends up turning to him. A great goal. An astonishing strike. Uh, and the juice was taken out of this goal firstly by the lack of crowd, but also by the VAR uh, review of this. Yeah. Gorgeous strike. And he was great against Severe as well. A really good attacking piece. But the, the problem that Giroud has, of course, is that people want to see the new look Chelsea attack working with all the shiny new toys, right? All the shine. It's like when Christmas comes around and it's like, you can't wait for your presents and you've got presents you've been playing. You've got toys you've been playing with for three years, but you're like, oh, but I want, I want what's in the parcel. I want what's under the tree. And he's, he's kind of always struggled with that, Giroud. I mean, I don't know how much he entirely cares at this point because he's an extremely beautiful man who's very well paid to play for great clubs and has a World <laughs> Cup winner's medal. So, you know, and in so far, in so, you know, <laughs> I think Giroud's, I think he's good. I think he's good. But I think there would be a little bit of maybe a frustration of just not being entirely appreciated. But those who know, know. Yeah. So Chelsea take an away goal into the second leg against mm. Atleti. Atleti have got to improve, man. They have yeah. to improve because... They're in a tailspin. They're in a tailspin at this point. They're on a very poor run of form at the moment and they, they're in danger of throwing away what was looking like a really, really, really impressive season. Yeah. Should we go to Rome quick? Lazio won by Munich for 
Weirdly, considering it had the most goals of the week, I think this is the least intriguing game of the week. Bayern really didn't have to do much. Lazio were pretty poor. Mm. Made a number of errors that led to Bayern goals. The one thing I would say actually that's impressive from Bayern is that they're very understrength in terms of depth at the moment. However, mm. I think that they were gifted quite a number of opportunities from Lazio. I mean, if you look at what three, I think three of the Bayern goals came from Lazio errors. There was one, I mean, I'm going to sound a bit cruel here, but there was one part of this match I found hilarious. And it wasn't because the Lazio player scored no goal. I'm not, I'm not going to laugh at someone's own goal, but it was the fact that Alfonso Davies was so clearly living rent free in his head <laughs> when, the, when the square ball came across. And you see the state of panic that he induced. That is only the state of panic that can be induced when you know that one of the fastest players in world football is somewhere behind you. And you see the ball come across and he looks behind him like once or twice. Then it was like watching, it's like watching a car chase and you know, you know that person's gaining on you, mm. right? You know how quick they are. And he was just looking over his shoulder left, right, and then like the apex predator is somewhere there and you've lost him. And then he basically like puts into his own net and almost, was he even relieved? In the vast depths of the Olympic Stadium, was he relieved that the pain was over to score the own goal because then it meant the Davies had to stop chasing? Just like... <laughs> existential it had, goal. Done. it had to be done exactly <laughs> like getting rid of the ring man exactly exactly if you look at his face contrast his face <laughs> with the face of one of those hobbits at the end but bless him like because Davies was absolutely magnificent was in that first half he was superb and you see what he gives you see him coming in off the flank and there's been conversations about Davies being out and Lucas Hernandez being instead and like other fullbacks playing that Alaba to an extent or other options, but no, full flight Alfonso Davies is the biggest problem from the left back position in world football. It's the biggest problem. No oh, one yeah. wants that. They really couldn't deal with it down the left, down the Bayern left-hand side Lazio. Was it for, uh, which goal was it that Patrick basically flicked the ball on the counter-attack? Yes, and, the, and he came. Is it that pool. goal? Yes, yes, on the halfway. Is that the one you're thinking? Of? Was that the own goal? No, that uh, wasn't no, the own goal, was that, it? That, that, that was in the first half. So the first, so the own goal, second half. But the first half, you're right when he comes off the flank. Yeah. Now I've got a lot of sympathy for defenders at this point, right? Because fullbacks were scary enough, and they were going outside. But now they're coming in, like Cancelo and Davies. Like, can mm. you not just? Can you not? I feel like just saying. Guys. Do you know what? Like this was bad. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you did it to that guy. Who was that poor guy that played right back for? Um, Semedo, the Barcelona. Yeah. You did that to Semedo, but at least you were on the flank, but now you're coming infield. Mm. And this was the thing that Leroy Sané was criticised for, actually, at um, the international level for Germany, but also for City. There was a criticism that he didn't play in the interior enough. He didn't cut in enough. I thought he was good on Tuesday, actually. I thought it was very good. He's been decent, actually, quite a couple of times. The last last couple of games, yeah. Who was it? Was it the goal goal against Eintracht, actually? Lewandowski's goal. He he just basically just sat three, three Eintracht players down some of them twice. And he kind of did the same thing on against Lazio, actually. You know, actually, I'm a, I'm a big fan of like big performances and losing matches. Mm. It shows a lot about, I mean, Hansi Flick will have seen the Eintracht performance and been like, that's the Sané that I want to see. Mm. You know, Bayern again are the team to beat in this tournament alongside City. I mean, along, City are marginally better at this point, but Bayern and City are kind of, they're kind of by themselves, aren't they? In terms of teams putting together either a run of form or having peaks that are identifiable. I think PSG are in there. That's interesting. I think PSG are in there because if you look at, if you look at the players, they've got yet to come back. And 
Di Maria, Neymar, yeah. And Neymar and Juan Bernat, which will give him a little bit more defensive stability. I think it's Bayern, City, PSG. And do you know what? I think it's Liverpool, actually. I think Liverpool, Van Dijk yeah. back in training. Van Dijk being back in training is like, you know, in the WWE, when someone looks out for the count and the ref lifts up their arm and it's down once and it's down twice. And posting Liverpool admin posting pictures of Van, Virgil van Dijk back in training is like when the referee has lifted up for the third one that's going to get them, get them <laughs> And it's just like, Oh, <laughs> and then all of a sudden the comeback's on and they start doing the whole like oh shit he's back he's back oh my god oh and then it's like over in like 30 seconds he's pinned in for three what a comeback oh my god oh my god that's that's what that is that's sending up the signal being like oh <laughs> it was it Liverpool was, fans everywhere just like, it's back. We're going to win the league and the Champions League and everything. <laughs> I'm already in my nuclear bunker. I'm already hiding out. But do you know, know what like, though? I'm yeah. genuinely, genuinely happy for Liverpool fans because they really just needed it. I think you posted, did you respond to the tweet bit, Footballing Thirst Trap? It's Footballing Thirst Traps. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's, <laughs> it's true. But like, it oh is. my God, does Liverpool need something like that? Like, it's like when like Thomas Partey back in training for Arsenal, I yeah. saw it and I was just like, Clutching a cushion, just being this is one solitary tear going down my face. Yes. It's like I've missed him. It's like a new signing. Yeah, he is yeah. a new signing, and he's already like a new signing because he's been out for so long. Yeah, no, it's wonderful. It's um, Van Dyke being you know on the mend is is obviously huge news for Liverpool. Just mm. great for football as well because you always want. You look at the you look at the squads that were turned out for this Champions League, and you always want teams to have the best players available. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, it's not. Not a full spectacle, is it? So, yeah. Before we wrap up on the Champions League, Jamal Musiala started for Bayern and scored his first Champions League goal. And he Lovely is goal. not yet 18. Lovely goal. He's going to be next level, you know. He's going to be yeah. absolutely next level. Beautiful player. Beautiful player. Very quickly, let's talk about the She Believes Cup. Yes, yes. USA beat uh, Argentina 6-0. Mm. Thanks to two from Megan Rapino, goal from Carly Lloyd, Christy Mewis, Alex Morgan, and... Kristen Press. That team looks scary, Ryan. I mean, they are, aren't they? <sighs> they just are. Uh, they won the tournament, scoring nine goals, conceding none. They look like an infinity gauntlet, actually. <laughs> I was like, this is a full hand. This is a full fist of jewels. You see that and you're like, they're assembling. I mean, yeah. I mean, I think this, this Brazil, Brazil beat Canada to finish second. Yeah. Having only lost the USA. I think this Brazil side are emerging quite nicely. Yeah. I mean, the USA are just they're still the best team in the world. They are. And maybe there's almost a, there was almost an element of demonstration, the comments from Rapino as well mm-hmm. about putting pressure on not only other countries, but her own players. Like, you know, joking around going like, you know, nice need to take care because I'm, I'm here scoring goals. But there's almost like a, there's almost an element of the, uh, not to use too many cross-board comparisons. It's almost an element of like a Golden State Warriors attitude. Like, don't take us for granted. Like we're the best. and it's not easy being the best all the time and we're not going to get tired of being the best. This is the thing. Golden State Warriors never got tired of dominance. They just lost players. Mm. And this US women's team is not, they're not getting bored anytime soon. No. Let's wrap. Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. We may have to record Monday's show a little earlier than usual. Mm. So we may do part of it as a mailbag. So keep an eye on at Stadio on Twitter for the call for questions. 
Don't forget to check the ringer.com this week because it's the it's video game week. I think they're uh, down to the final four of the old like the the video game goat character bracket. Goodness. I saw an amazing tweet that the Ringer NBA put out saying who would be your starting five in terms of video game characters like point guard, shooting guard. And a load of people just responded Steph on 2K, Shaq on 2K. <laughs> <laughs> your piece going up this week on the ringer.com forward slash soccer. Go and check Wrighty's house if you haven't already. Uh, do we need to shout anything else out? I think that's it. That's it. We are playing out this week on Abimus Mind by Nightless. We hope everyone's staying safe and well. Like we said at the top of the show, keep positive if you can. I know it's tricky. Anything to add, Musa Kongo? Any conspiracy theories you want to peddle this week? No, no, we're all good. This uh, I thought Aww. I'd give the uh, the people a week off Aww. from my usual my usual ramblings and rantings. We're in, <laughs> are we in post post truth now? Yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> post truth is so called truth school now. Truth's back in. Uh, have a wonderful weekend, everyone, and we'll be back on Monday. All good. Take care.